to the Old Testament story that's being referred to throughout this and indeed was, was used in Psalm 95 at the start of our service. So in Numbers 13 and 14, we can read the story of the Israelites who've been trekking across the wilderness. They at last reach the borders of the Promised Land, the place where they can settle, find rest, peace and provision. It's there before them. Twelve scouts are sent ahead to spy out the land. On return, they give their report. Ten of them say, yes, the land is all that was promised. It's truly wonderful with everything that we need to live comfortable lives. But we may just as well forget it because to get there, well, the difficulties are just insurmountable. No way. We just need to press on and look for somewhere else. This is the Gillian Standard Version, by the way, not the um, NIV translation. So, back to the, the two scouts that were remaining, Joshua and Caleb. Well, they told a very different story. Look, folks, the land is wonderful. It is all that God has promised. He's not about to bring us this far to the very border and then abandon us. He won't do that. He'll help us overcome the obstacles ahead. He's promised. That's what he's offered us. He's promised it. He won't let us down. So, who do you think the Israelites listened to? Yep, the doubters. And consequently, a whole generation missed out on the offer of God's promise. Verses 1 to 3 of the reading uh, that we had, uh, I want to just read it to you in the message translation. For as long then as that promise of resting in him pulls us on to God's goal for us, we need to be careful that we're not disqualified. We receive the same promises as those people in the wilderness, but the promises didn't do them a bit of good because they didn't receive the promises with faith. If we believe, though, we'll experience that state of resting, but not if we don't have faith. The writer of the Hebrews is trying to get every ounce of meaning out of the story. And this rest, we're promised, yes, it was a, phys a, yes, it was a physical rest, but a real-life place for the Israelites, but it was and had another meaning. It is the promise of salvation for us now. It's the promise of eternal life, being with God in his presence forever. And it's about knowing his peace right now, today. Verse 9 of the passage tells us it's available. It hasn't disappeared. God's promise still holds good for us if we trust him. And verse 11 gives us a bit of a warning. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest that's on offer so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience that we've just heard about of the Israelites. In other words, don't follow them. Don't listen to the doubters who point out all the difficulties. Trust God or you'll miss out on all that God has in store for you. 
So that's the offer. What about the journey to get there? Well, verses 12 and 13 tell us, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In our journey through life, we all have choices to make, don't we? Big choices that affect our careers, our choice of marriage partners, where we live. And then small choices, whether we purchase fair trade products in the supermarket, which friends we, make, we hang out with, or how much, to spend, uh, how much time to spend on our dev devices. How do the decisions we make affect our life journey? Now, I've recently had a new food processor. This was essential. I am married to a cake addict. So it's absolutely vital that I have something that I can make cakes quickly and efficiently with. Absolutely. The first time I used it, I put the parts in the washing up bowl. And then as I lifted the blade attachment out, I realized I was bleeding quite profusely and I had deeply cut both my finger and my thumb. And Colin wasn't around. No, I could have done with some stitches. I hadn't noticed that the blade was double-edged or taken into account just quite how sharp it was. And of course, the sharper the blade is, the less you feel when you cut yourself. It had gone straight through skin and into flesh with absolutely no trouble at all. Sorry for those of you who are a bit squeamish. That's the image Hebrews is using in verse 12 to describe the effect of God's word. It has some... It, uh, to the, so I'll say it again. That's the image Hebrews is using in verse 12 to describe the effect God's word has in someone's life, as in the sword. The difference here is that the writer isn't talking about a food processor... But, as we see, a sword, a weapon that could pierce not just skin and flesh, but go right through to the heart of matters, right through to heart and soul. And what does he say that is? He says, that's God's word. When people take God seriously, they immediately realise that his word is not only something to be studied, not only something to be read, not only something to be written about, it's something to be lived and done. It's something that will help us make good and right choices. We so often underestimate just how effective God's word is, don't we? But it's one of the facts of history that whenever people have taken God's word seriously, things have begun to happen. William Wilberforce took God's word seriously and succeeded in his campaign to abolish slavery. Brother Andrew took God's word seriously and began the worldwide movement Open Doors, which helps millions of persecuted Christians around the world today. Jan Coleman from St Thomas's Church took God's word seriously when she began the Thomas Project and helped and supported thousands of people who are struggling with various issues. 
Brian and Chris Clark, who I know came to YF not long ago, they took God's word seriously when they were led to start Crassy Fade, helping the poor and the vulnerable and disabled people in parts of Bulgaria. Verse 12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and actions of the heart. The word of God is effective when it's taken seriously. It also penetrates. It gets right through to the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. And verse 13 tells us that there is nowhere to hide, no armour that can protect us from God's word. God's word through scripture, encompassed in the person of Jesus, made known to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, goes right through to the heart of things. Comrade Elby, in his uh, book, The God in You, says, at some time or another, a person must stop running for themselves and God, possibly because there's no other place to run. There comes a time for each of us that we have to meet God, God from whose eyes nothing is ever concealed. And Tom Wright says, if you can imagine that if you imagine that you can slide along in unbelief and slip by unnoticed into the rest that God has promised through his faithful people, God's word will find you out. God's word will pierce through and disclose what's really going on. The secret thoughts, plans and intentions that make the real centre of my life, of our lives. Everyone, sooner or later, must give an account of themselves. At that moment, if never before, all will be revealed. Imagine for a moment that you realise you are far from well. You have a choice to make. You either go to the doctor to, for his examination or hers, or, oh, it's too uncomfortable, I don't want to do that. And then you can wait for the post-mortem. So instead of waiting for the post-mortem, uh, <clears throat> we get, we access God's word now. You can do this through reading the Bible, obviously, and there are a variety of things to help you, which we put on this slide here. You can ask YF leaders, house group leaders, um, or us if you want some assistance to actually read God's word and get to know it yourselves. It's always good to have wise Christian assistance in, in trying to get through and understanding the Bible for yourself. Of the choices we make along life's journey, the most important one is this, whether we take God's word seriously or not. And our decision has daily as well as eternal consequences. Through this, we may seem, through the, this may seem like a warning. Though this may seem like a warning... It's also an encouragement because we're not left alone to make our choice. There is help along the way. And what's that help? Well, Jesus understands our struggles. At the end of Hebrews 4, we read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What's all this reference to high priest about? Well, the priest for a Jewish believer is the person who has access to God, who can make sacrifices for people's sins. The high priest was clearly the most senior of these priests, and although they stood between God and the people, they were fallible men, and so did not always behave appropriately. They held the position, but they did not always act in a priestly manner as God required. Verse 14, however, refers to Jesus, the perfect high priest, who, though he was tempted, he did not sin. And the writer of Hebrews describes him as the high priest who's gone to heaven for us, having offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. So he's able to empathise with mortals like us who are tempted. Hebrews 2 verse 18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What great news is this? Well, Jesus was a carpenter. He surely smashed his fingers when working. He knew what it was like to be injured. He knew, knew what it was like to be abused by the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. He knew what it was like to be misunderstood as he reached out to the outcasts and was criticised for it. Remember him after he'd gone to Zacchaeus' house. He knew what he was like to be tempted by power when the devil tempted him in the desert. And he knew what it was like to be drained and exhausted and still love and care when he went to a lonely place to recover only to be followed by multitudes wanting to be healed. He knew what it was like to be betrayed, didn't he? Let, let down by those he thought he could rely on, as with Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial of him after he had been arrested, and so on. Yes, he knows what it's like living our lives. The temptations that we experience are understood by Jesus, so we can approach him with confidence. He knows completely how we feel. Hebrews 7.25 then says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for us. Not only did he offer the sacrifice, but he prays for us in heaven. Can you really imagine that? We're not abandoned. Jesus is praying for us, for each one of us right now in heaven. Hallelujah. He understands. He prays that we might be saved. We can look forward not only to being forgiven, but overcoming in Christ's name. So we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and grace to find help us to help us in our time of need. A guy called John Foster in his book 
tells how he came home in 1938, which was just clearly prior to World War II, to find his daughter in tears in front of the radio. He asked why and heard that the Japanese tanks had entered Canton in order to blockade China and prevent it from being from communicating with the outside world. Most people would have heard that news with, with regret, statesmen with grim foreboding, but to most it made no difference. It was the other side of the world. Why was John Foster's daughter in tears? Because she had been born there. To her, it meant a home, school, friends. When you've been there, it makes all the difference. There is no part of human experience that God cannot say, I've been there. No part at all. When we're sad, when we're drenched with tears, we do not go to a God who is incapable of understanding. We go to a God who's been there and who has a heart to forgive us. We can find mercy, grace, and compassion in our time of need. Thank you, Lord. But more than that, we can go to a God who's able to help. We have a prayer chain here at APC, so that those that sign up to it can pray for people in situations they're not involved in. One item recently was posted by us for a person in Bulgaria who had had a stroke, and then... We posted again because he had actually died. It was Ivan, husband of Genka, the director of the Blue House, who you may have heard about when we've reported back from our trips out there. What could we do over here? Send some messages of concern and comfort, but nothing much else. But we and others could pray. And God was able to help right there in Bulgaria and Sliven and is now able to help Genka and her family in their bereavement. So whatever our situations may be, let us, as it says in verse 16, approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Given all this, we're encouraged to hold firmly to the faith we profess, given that all we have in Jesus all that we have in Jesus, someone who has walked in our shoes, knows what it's like to be tempted, is able to forgive when we fall, and is able to help us in our circumstances. So there it is. We have a choice to make. God has offered us, as it says in John 10.10, 10, real and eternal life, more and better life, than we ever dreamed of. And as we go through life's journey, with all the struggles and temptations that every one of us go through, we can choose God's way or not. And it's in that choice, if we make the right one and choose Jesus, that we can know with absolute certainty that we are not alone. On our journey, he is with us every step of the way to guide, to inform, to equip us. So, what choice are we going to make today? Amen.
We'll leave it a moment and then we'll move to our next song. A moment just to reflect on whatever God has been saying through that to you.